Okay, George, can you hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay, so does that sound like something you're interested in and as far as sharing your story as part of my article? Yeah, I think I think it would be worthwhile for me to do that. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and do you have any time constraints right now? Do I have what? Do you have any time constraints? Like, do you need to be done no. with, the, with the call at any certain time? Okay. No. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so just tell me a little bit about yourself. I don't really know much other than that you're in Greenville. And um, Alan told me that he was able to find housing for you recently. But that's all I know. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I'm originally from Greenville, Mississippi. I moved from home when I was 18, joined the service, got married, raised a family, had a career, and um, about three years ago, moved back home here to Greenville just to hang out with my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, you know, free from family life. My my kids were grown. I raised two of, two of my grandchildren, my wife and I. They were grown, and my, my wife and I parted ways, so... I was like, well, you know, George, you left home at 18 and you haven't spent any time, real, real time with your mother since you departed. You know, come home for a vacation here and there once a year, you know, based on where I was stationed or based on where I was living. And um, so, you know, the time that I spent with her was kind of pseudo. You know, my dad had passed in 86, so the time, you know, that I spent with her was kind of, you know, abbreviated. You know, it wasn't real. You know, I didn't, it wasn't any quality time because it may be a week, a weekend here and there. But when I moved to Memphis, you know, it was maybe twice a month or, you know, and along the, you know, at times, sometimes, several weekends on the road, there's, there was a need to do something for her, but it wasn't any real sit-down, chill time with my mom. So I, long story short, three years ago, I decided to do that. And things were going well. And um, around Mother's Day, uh, I remember, this is the part that I remember, um, not, it was sometimes at that, that Sunday, maybe that Monday, I started not feeling too good. And, but I didn't really attribute it to anything in particular. Mm-hmm. And, but then from that point on, the next thing I remember is that I saw uh, my neighbor coming to our home and go back to my mom's room through the front door. And that's really unheard of because our neighbors have access to the favorite part of the house, and that's from the garage to the kitchen. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, um, and behind her was ambulances. And then I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? This was, I think, Tuesday. And, you know, I was laying on the couch. And I that's where I had ended up on Mother's Day, and I had moved since then because of how, you know, I wasn't feeling well. But anyway... I, you know, the, the ambulance, I saw the paramedics come in with the stretcher, and then I saw them walking my mother from the bed. Well, I saw my mother, them walking my mother from the bed, with well, hand walking my mother from the bedroom to the, to the stretcher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what, what is really going on with her? And I couldn't even get up off the couch. Like I figured out, well, I couldn't even move 
to help my mom. Yes. So, anyway, uh, as I recover, you know, she was test, she tested positive, and she's recovering greatly right now. But anyway, she tested positive for COVID nineteen. She was on the ventilator. She's ninety years old, but she's never had any pre-existing conditions other than high blood pressure. She has survived the COVID virus as I have because I ended up, when I was able to, I went and got tested. I never went to the doctor. But I had all these horrific symptoms. I just didn't lose. There was was peers doing that things I can't remember. Uh, 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 But anyway, I recovered, you know, by the grace of God. You know, most people say, well, you did it on your own. No, I didn't. It had to be God because I I had no control. Um, um, you said you, you, how were you able to get a COVID test? Where did you go? Say what now? Um, how were you able to get a COVID test? Like, where did you go to get it? Well, that's what I was saying. You know, as I, as I felt better and my vision got better, then I drove myself okay. to get tested at the hospital. And, uh, and by then, I had been sick with the virus about six, seven days, I guess. Yeah. I guess, you know, uh, it was a long time. But anyway, I went through bouts of different symptoms at different times and had no help other than God. Um, yeah, so after six uh, or seven days, but, you drove yourself and you tested positive? Yeah, I drove myself and I came out and tested positive. So I was on, this was in about the second week in May. Okay. So I tested positive and I was on quarantine 14 days, and during those 14 days, I still had an issue with my vision, had an issue with shortness of breath, muscle weakness, the whole nine. Now I understand because I'm still having problems with my vision. It's called a, uh, I saw, saw a newscast where they call it the, uh, uh, some some young lady, they didn't develop a name for people that's experience, still experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 even weeks and months after it. I forgot what the nickname is before. I saw it on the news yesterday. But uh, oh, not old timers, but something else. Uh, but anyway, um, um, my mother was in the hospital, and I was maintaining home. And when it came close to the time for her to come home, uh you know, it was determined that because I had tested positive, my mama was still testing positive in the hospital, even after she got off the ventilator and everything else, she was still coming up positive. So it was determined by the family, and that was my youngest sister and oldest that, you know, mama was going to need assistance when she come home. Yeah. And how they were going to facilitate facilitate that assistance was, through my baby sister and my older sister, and of course some help from hospice, uh, therapy people, and so forth and so on, nurses, whatever. So that, and it's immediately, I didn't know it at the time because I was actually gonna, you know, try to be some assistance to them. But in essence, it was determined that it would not be a good idea for me to remain in home. And that was because you had tested positive? Because I had tested positive as well. And my, okay. and my mother, even though she, they, you know, they, they wanted her to test negative twice before she left the hospital. 
but but they finally went ahead on and released it because she was study test. She studied she was study testing positive. Okay, so okay. she at the hospital never tested negative. She never tested negative. Yeah. Got it. But she but but she and I, I think she's had one negative test since she's been out. Got but it. anyway okay. so but anyway with, because I had tested positive, and then because of the amount of people that were, were going to be in the home, my little sister, and, of course, her baggage would be she had custody of two of her grandkids, and uh, her daughter was going to come in and help assist. You know, that was going to make for a crowded place. Yeah. And with the nurses and therapy people and all that, you know, I, uh, and there was so much other stuff that was going on that, you know, I'd rather not talk about, but okay. I won't. But but anyway, you know, I I could have said no, but I agreed to, yes, that would be a good thing for me to just go on, you know, and, and give them that space for my mother's sake and for the peace's peace, peace sake. Mm-hmm. But in that, you know, in, but in the time frame, you know, I was dealing with some financial issues, you know, and I, uh, I you know, I'm, I'm on a fixed income now because, you know, as, you know, mama, as well, she, you know, got a little bit because I was three years, you know, I stopped working and I was at home, so I was collecting Social Security. So, but there were some financial issues that came about that I was in a bind, so to speak. Yeah. While this was going on. So, when it came closer to time for me to, that mama was coming home or the people was coming out to sanitize the house so she could come home, prior to her coming home, you know, I found myself, I had about a week or so when I, when this, when this decision was made, I had about a week, maybe two weeks before I had to leave. Could have been less than two weeks. So, you know, I found myself in a, in a, with a serious dilemma. So I got on the phone and started calling because uh, I'm actually affiliated with VA in Memphis because that's where, I, you know, for 20 years, that's where I've been getting my care. But mm-hmm. because I'm in Greenville, the, they're under the Jackson umbrella. And believe it or not, the two, even though it's a veterans hospital, they're in what's called, because I work for a veterans hospital as well, they're in what's called a different business, the ISN, which I can't remember what that acronym means. But each VA hospital is in a, in a regional, they're a regional hospital. Like, I, I guess Jackson may be affiliated with the, the uh, headquarters in Atlanta, but Memphis is affiliated with the headquarters in St. Louis. Okay. VA is in St. Louis. So, but anyway... So I had to call, because I was here in Greenville, I had to call. I called my VA first in Memphis, and then we uh, networked down here to Mississippi. Yes. And uh, mind you, that I'm still experiencing symptoms. You know, I'm not telling people, but I'm still having vision problems. Still having shortness of breath problems, but now my shortness of breath would be a sudden, sudden onset of shortness of breath, not a constant. Still have some issues with, you know, general weakness sometimes. 
But now the main thing is the dick. But that you know, at, you know. But again, I'm still experiencing multiple symptoms at various times, and you know, my money is is is, is spoken for. Uh, uh, so now I'm broke, and I don't have no place to go. And now I got to make some moves here as fast as I can to try to get some assistance as quickly as I can uh, for me to find shelter. Yeah. Because, you know, again, I could force the issue and be at, at 1501 Kendrick where my mother is. I could force the issue. But that's not what I'm about. I'm, not, I'm about peace, especially among my siblings, no matter how they think. Feel I'm gonna remain how God wants me to do, and that's be peaceful. You know, I might be pissed off, but still be peaceful. You know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, so I got on the phone, started calling. Initially, I called Catholic Charities, and Catholic Charities gave me. Well, I called VA in Jackson, and then VA gave me Catholic. Charities, or I can't remember how that went. I Catholic Charities, one with other. I got a hold of Catholic Charities. Then I got a hold of a program that Alan is involved in, M-U-T-E-H. So I had to balance which way I got a week now to figure out because I didn't know they were under the same, they different entities, but they're under the same umbrella, meaning that they have a, a very similar funding streams from the federal government. So they can't duplicate services. No, I can't be a part of Catholic Charities and Mute. You see what I'm trying to say? I have to choose between Catholic Charities or Mute because yeah. of the, uh, the funding stream. They're, uh, they're under the same umbrella. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Catholic Charities, I would have to be homeless, considered homeless for 30 days for them to provide me assistance. On the 25th day or so, then they would kick in and assist me with housing, so forth and so on, uh, and eventually give me permanent housing. That was the criteria. So, but there in Jackson, I'm in Greenville. The only homeless shelter here in Greenville is called it's an acronym Whisker that, and they they there was no availability there because I don't have like six, seven, eight beds, you know. Yeah. Uh, at best for single people and then beds for families. Okay. Well, so I called the shelters in Jackson because I can't, you know, I'm I'm eventually moved to Jackson, Mississippi. So I said, well, I might as well, you know, let me call the shelters in Jackson. I have sort of four different shelters to, to call. And maybe I'll start this journey in Jackson. And this two Catholic charities. So I called the different shelters, and um, one of them wasn't taking anybody because of COVID-19. One only to take maybe, I forget how many people, six or seven people, besides the, the quota that they already had, COVID-19, and two of them, uh, uh, you had to go get out there and stand in line and hopefully you'll get in there. 
uh, at 430, and they was only taking so many people because of COVID-19. Yeah, and one, yeah, so one was only taking five, six people a day, but they, you know, I'm coming from Greenville. I knew I was going to be one of those five, six. One wasn't taking anybody, and two, you had to stand in line, get in line and be in line, you know, before 430 when they opened the door. So that means that, you know, many, I'm sure in Jackson, many people were standing in line for hours, you know, for them to only give out so many beds. Yeah. Because of COVID-19. Right. So that wasn't a good fit for me because I wasn't, you know, necessarily subject myself to the, to the streets, even though I, you know, I can do that. You know, mm-hmm. it ain't nothing I can't do. Without that. But that wasn't, you know, I didn't consider that a good option. So, you know, I'm already telling you that I'm going to be homeless, but you tell me I got to actually be homeless for 30 days for you to provide services. Now, what kind of bullshit is that? Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, and again, I'm not, you know, following them because they're a great service. Catholic Charities are a great service, don't get me wrong. You know, they provide for many, many of But, you know, that, that, was, that, that was kind of crazy. But when, and yeah. then when I, when, but when I called them back, I said, well, look, Here's the problem that we're having. There's no room in the shelter and because of COVID nineteen. You know, now what, my answer, what did now, they say? So they were like, Well, Mr. Bacon, you know, we understand, but that's you know, that's that's what it is. You know, it's like you guys can't expedite a, a, this situation and assist me because there there's not gonna be any room for me in, in a shelter. There'll be no, I'll be homeless for 30, but I have to be on the street. Basically, right. is what it amounts to for 30 days. That's what you're asking me to do. Well, also, one of my other options, you know, I could have went to Memphis. I could have gone to Memphis, and I would have been taken care of in Memphis. Yeah. You know, quickly, very quickly, because Memphis have transitional housing for veterans. Correct. Uh, uh, meaning that I would go on to Memphis, went to my PCP, got examined, got a TV skin test, and then went into one of these transitional housing units in the, within the city, veterans. But then that would have taken me away from my family, my my mother. You know, and yeah. so I didn't. That was not an option at all because I wasn't going to be that far away from my mom, especially in the in the present at the time condition that she was in. I wasn't about to do that. You know, so. Do you have transportation? Yeah, I have transportation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I worked all my life. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, but I've had struggles, but I, you know, I also worked all my life, and and and, and I have reliable transportation, but still transportation. You know, it takes gas for transportation, it takes maintenance to maintain and stuff like that. So you know, my funds are very limited, so my movements are also limited. Now, I could have got the message, and you know, no problem. <clears throat> but again, that was not a good option for me because of my mother's present condition, right. and I want to be closer to her. Yeah. You know, Jack. Jack won't be the closest if I was going to go anywhere. I go to Jack because my brother was my brother lives in Jackson as well, but he couldn't take me in because his wife is an RN, and mm. she's a dialysis nurse, and there's the the nurse uh, the, at her company. The nurses are on a corporate quarantine where they can't be around anybody. They have to go from home. That's definitely their immediate family. Their children, if they have it, and their husband, their spouse. They have to go from home to work and back home. 
and that's it. No stores, no no nothing in between. Got it. My my sister-in-law has to undress at the door every evening when she comes home to prevent infecting her husband, and also she has can't be around anybody but her husband to prevent infecting any of her patients. Now my brother, you know, is sixty young, works part time, so because of her corporate quarantine, then he self quarantined too, where he's only working like. Maybe right now, I think he said he's working like eight hours a week or something like that. But and he's not around anybody either because he don't want to bring something home to her. You know that if the court quarantine is, she could possibly be terminated if she gets yes. sick. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So both of them are really on the on the corporate quarantine. They only see each other. He goes to work once a week. She goes to work every day, and then she comes, she goes home. So there couldn't be any visitors in their home, so that prevented me from going to live there because I could have moved there with them right? yeah. until uh, things got, you know, situated got it. in my favor. So that was out. So, again, time is winding down. Catholic Charities is not an option. Memphis is not an option. My brother is not an option. So... Entrance Allen's mute, M U T E H. I don't know the acronym means, but they're all under the veteran. But anyway, anyway, Allen was my best option where they could assist me in finding housing, and in the meantime, they could put me up uh, in a hotel, motel living situation until such time we find housing. Now, the backdrop to that is Alan and them could only do Greenville, only do the Delta. Their new program could only do the Delta. They couldn't put me up in the Delta temporarily and then find me house in the Jackson. They had to put me up in Greenville temporarily and find me house in Greenville. Okay. So uh, that was the only, you know, thing that, you know, kind of threw me about them, which is, but again, they were Johnny on the spot. And so... How did, you, how, did, how did you find Alan? Through my networking, through the VA system, I, like I said, I called Catholic Charities. I called my people in Jackson, I mean in Memphis. And I talked to the uh, homeless people at VA in Memphis. And they gave me the numbers to Catholic Charities in in in, in uh, Jackson, the VA number to VA hospital in Jackson, and they gave me a number to the MUTE program, M-U-T-H, which is Allen in there, also, but gave me a different name. The gentleman that they had on the MUTE program, the from networking from Memphis, was 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 not there, <laughs> but I did have the number. So, but I was leaving messages to speak to this gentleman, this particular gentleman who was not with the, you know, with with the music program. Mm-hmm. So finally, I guess that, that that call, you know, that message got to Alan, and Alan called, and uh, I said, "Well, Alan, I was looking for Mr. So and So, So and So. I didn't ever get a guy named Roy Carpenter, and uh, he said, "Well, George, I, I don't know Roy Carpenter works here, and I never known of Roy Carpenter, but I'm." I'm part of that new program, and I could possibly assist you. So that's how Alan and I connected. 
Okay. But that that came from me talking to my people in Memphis who gave me numbers in Jackson plus the VA connection, homeless connection uh, in Jackson. And that's how I got to meet. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So Alan put me up in a hotel, but again, now, you know, I got, I'm not at home, so now I got to feed myself. You know, because, you know, mom, you know, mom and I, you know, I did certain things in the home financially. She covered all the food like parents always do. So, you know, and I adjusted my life to her life, you know. Right. So so now I'm in a motel room. You know, I have very, very little resources, stuff that I bought from home to eat, but I can't cook. There's nothing to cook. I can't cook. So now I'm, you know, eating cold cuts and, you know, continental breakfasts and, uh, you know, which is driving up my sugar because there's no vegetable and fruit. You know, artificial fruit, if you count yogurt and stuff like that, fruit flavors. But that's running up my uh, borderline diabetes. My sugar levels are going up because I'm not eating a balanced diet. I'm only eating mainly starches, which you know turns to sugar. Right. You know, and processed meat and cold cuts and stuff like that, and no hot food. You know, so... Um, you know, and I stayed in a hotel for a month or more, close to a month, well, it was a month, or maybe a little over, over a month. Still experiencing symptoms, very little movement because, you know, I got to make sure I maintain my contract or obligation to these debts that I owe, plus pay my car note and my phone bill and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't call those dark days because, because they were transitional days because, you know, what don't kill you only makes you tough. And you have to use your street sense and intellectual sense in order to maintain. You know, thank God that I served in the military because now that military is, is to a degree is given back. You know, um, again, I stayed in a hotel for a month or so, you know, under undernourished, not malnourished, but undernourished because I'm not eating healthy. And, uh, and you know, uh, even if I had a million dollars, I still could eat healthy, and that's why I ate out every day. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, uh, but... Of course, I don't have a million dollars, so I had to, you know, use what I had, which was a microwave and a little bitty microwave and a little bitty refrigerator to store. So I couldn't, there was no, I couldn't cook them in the hotel room. And there wasn't no room for no leftovers in a small refrigerator. So you have to, I had to make adjustments in what I ate, how I stocked the refrigerator. So for the song, because there was, it was, you know, very limited. It was limited to what I could refrigerate, and limited even to what I could put in a small microwave. If it had been a larger microwave, I might have got away with some stuff. But it was just a very small. You've seen these microwaves in the hotel rooms, the hotels, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Anyway, 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 I dealt with that for about a month plus. You know the 
ins and outs of, of living in a, a motel. You know, the Days Inn, which was used to be the original. Originally, when they built that building, it was the Hampton Inn. And I think I was in the military when they built the Hampton Inn there. I joined the military. So now it's Days Inn, and it's a 1,000 years old, you know, with a 1,000 different odors that I'm, you know, not accustomed to because I'm accustomed to a, a sweet-smelling home. And dealing with that, but making that adjustment, making my dietary adjustment, you know, using a using facilities that I know ain't sanitary. I made them sanitary myself, but still uncomfortable with with the facility because it's not what I'm I'm accustomed to. But it's what I have to make. I have to make do with what I got. So, uh, and I know how to do that. And uh, so, and then having very you know little change of clothes. You know, I wasn't going to put out my own purse towels and all that stuff, so I'm using hotel laundry. So I'm checking the, the towels every day to make sure I don't see stains and stuff on them that I'm, you know, I know possibly what those things to be. And, you know, going through that whole nine yards, you know. So. Yeah. But I was, you know, you know, I, was, I made this adjustment. And I made acquaintances at the hotel to make sure that my service was, I had a little added service because of how kind I was. Got it. So, so I made it to that until we were able to locate, by the grace of God, this, uh, 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 I have a studio apartment now that Mute is assisting me with and will for the next eight, nine months until I find that situation gets much, much better. And then hopefully by then I'll be done with this picture and move on to Jackson. But again, I had to, you know, there was a period of uncertainty because Greenville and it is a very small metropolitan area now compared to when I was growing up. So there's almost close to 6,000 people here. Now it's going down to maybe 30,000 because of the poor economy here. All the industries left during when the NAFTA, when Bill Clinton signed NAFTA, to, you know, provide that industries could, you know, have corporate interests overseas, you know, when he expanded that, then a lot of these industries here that were paying people top dollar move their uh, industry to slave labor overseas, you know, or in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of the industries here in Greenville left town. You know, Greenville was not an agricultural town. It was an uh, industrial town. Uh, that had uh, agricultural ties and also river ties, river ties, and you know uh, transporting goods back and forth. But all that stuff is all that stuff is gone now. So Greenville is just is a, a struggling little city, town of about thirty thousand people. So the housing there, the housing is that the housing that the new program is going to pay for uh, is very limited. But again, by the grace of God, we were able, Alan and I was able to locate, Alan gave me, not Alan, but this guy Adam, who works with Alan. Alan works, deals with temporary housing, and Adam deals with the most permanent permanent housing of the mute program. For this Delta area, Greenville, Cleveland, 
uh, in and out of the, the surrounding desert here, Leland, places like that. So, but anyway, Adam came to me in contact with a couple of places here that he knew of, and I called this particular one where I am now, uh, lawyer, Tanya Franklin, and they really didn't have anything available. And but took my name and everything. If, if they something would come up, and by the grace of God, something came up. Thus, here I am in the studio apartment. So again, you know, um, the Allen's end of the program would have kept me in a motel until I found permanent housing. But now I found permanent housing in a small studio apartment. Uh, but now I'm dealing with roaches. You know, but I got some stuff for the ass. Excuse my language. I got some for You know, I had some spray. You know, I was like, okay, y'all put this in place. It's painted. It looks nice. But, you know, it wasn't day one that I, I moved in. I'm look, I'm seeing roaches just that fast. And I ain't even no roaches. So, wow. but I talked. There's a maintenance guy on the apartment complex. So I had him to come in and spray. Well, you know, uh, roaches are immune to that spray stuff. And especially, oh, yeah. if, especially if it's been a roach station for a long period of time, you know they're immune to that stuff, but they ain't immune to chloric acid. So, oh, but I had them spray, and then today I called him and I said, told him I might need you to come and spray again, or uh, I need to go find some boric acid. And he said, man, I got some boric acid, so I just got some boric acid today, and this is no, this is no bullcrap. My sister, my older sister sent me a TV just this, this past week. I was just watching the uh, home going of uh, Senator Lewis, John Lewis, and yes. the damn roach crawled across my brand new TV screen. And then, but check this out, Jamie, but two nights before, I walked in the kitchen and I keep it. The, uh, the hood light on, the, the hood been light in the kitchen to kind of keep them down a little bit. I walked in there, and, you know, I had a, because when you open my front door, there's no screen. So, inevitably, a fly or two going to get in there. Well, I had killed two or three flies, put them in a the garbage can, and I'd be down in the middle of the night. I got up, go in the kitchen and get me some, some juice. And one of them roaches that, that Pull a damn dead fly, either kill one or pull one out of the garbage can, and was dragging the thing across my stove. Oh my gosh! You know, I'm not, I'm kidding, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? So anyway, I kill this, but but I went, I got the board out today, so I'm gonna put it down. And uh, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm not used to having to cook and guard my food while I'm cooking. Wow. You know, and you know. Uh, uh, go to the bathroom and, and you know there's roach, you know. And I talked to the maintenance guy. Said, "Well, they're coming from the guy that lives behind you and had some health issues, but still, no, these roaches been camping out in this joint forever because I had to deal with roaches in the refrigerator. You know, roaches in my. I walk in the bathroom to use the bathroom. Roaches in the sink. Roaches in the tub. Roaches in the, in the toilet. But you know, I'm I'm eradicating them, shoulder by shoulder, and I won't be seeing them but uh, anymore here once I uh, put this board acid down. So, 
Um, uh, how long? When did when did you move into that apartment? Um, July. I think July. I ain't been here two weeks yet, so almost mid July. Uh, now going going into the second week of July, the, the yeah, I think Wednesday of the second week in July. Got it. Okay. So yeah. this place is just infested with cockroaches. Yeah. And but when we inspect it, you know, because Adam has to inspect. You know, we ain't seen nothing in there. Does you he know. know? Does he know that? Huh? Does Adam know? Yeah. Well, I told him. I said, man, you know, I'm gonna have to get them to come and spray because you know we got we got a a a, a roach issue here. You know, it's not a massive infestation, but it's too much for George. <laughs> you know what I'm it's saying? Too much for anybody. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, not I mean, every, every every time I get up and walk in a, walk in whatever direction I'm walking in, there's a roach. That's too damn many. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't need to be have you know. I have to cover all my stuff. You know. Uh, uh, Stuff that I shouldn't have to do to maintain. But, you know, now you move in these apartments nowadays, if you don't do a deep cleaning, you know, back in, back when, I don't know how old you are, but back when I was growing up, and you know, in my young days, moving into an apartment, that no matter what it was, man, you when you moved into that apartment, it was newly painted and stick and stain. You know, that's the way uh, landlords presented decent housing. To, to to people. You move into an apartment and it's ready to move into, it's pretty much clean. You know, you're going to put a little touch on it, but it's pretty damn clean. Not nowadays. You move into these, you know, not in my experience here recently. This place is, is a decent place. It's not a bad place. But they could have done a better job. You know, when I look deeper into the place, you know, when you first come in and take a look at an apartment someplace, you know, you come in the wall. You smell the paint, see the painting, see the floors looking very nice. You know, the refrigerator and stove is, is, is clean, basically clean. Bathroom is basically clean. You think everything is all right. It's not until you get in here and start looking on the surface and find all the, all the stuff. You know, so I'm going to be calling the landlord Monday because uh, uh, it's too late in the week. I have to call them because the, the owner is a lawyer. So, you know, I catch her on Monday, and I, I'm only right around the corner from her, uh, from her office. You know, I just set them straight because, you know, you're wrong. Some things you're just wrong about, and I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. Because mm-hmm. I made you do that, you know. Uh, uh, this place should have been constantly being sprayed. There should be a spraying regimen going on here. Well, it's not. Whether it's occupied or not, there should be a... You should be, have a contract with exterminator to keep the bugs down. And you, I, we live in the death, Mississippi Delta. Same bugs everywhere. You yeah. open your door, I don't care where you live, you're going to have a bug here and there, some kind of bug. It may not be a roach, but it's going to be something. Spider, it's going to be something. Nats, it's going to be some mosquitoes, it's going to be something. You know, because we live in the Mississippi Delta. So that's a, that's a gift. But this, it should not be to where I can't trust leaving uh, my plate of food on the stove. I can't walk away from my plate of food and fear that when I come back, it's going to be a roach riding around it or stuff. 
you know, that that that's not listening. That's not right. listening. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, anyway, I know how to deal with them, and I get you know I let them know, but I put my own spin on this place because I'm gonna make it comfortable for me for the duration that I gotta be here, which is one year, unless unless once I get past this major debt that I have, which won't be too long from now, maybe four, five, six months from now, then I might be able to buy myself out of this place and go on and move to Jackson. But right now, this is home. And, if, you know, it's another, it's a studio apartment, so it's another hotel room. You know, it's the one room, the bathroom, and I do have a kitchen, which is very mm-hmm. small, which is very, you know, I don't have any place for the kitchen table, you know, anything like that. You know, I just got a kitchen with a sink, a stove, and refrigerator. And that's all the room you have. And then I got this room right here that I sleep in, which is my bedroom right there, my living room right here, which is this chair. Then I got the bathroom. You know, then my sister sent me a, uh, from Houston, sent me a Roku TV uh, on Dr. Roku TV the other day, which I was very surprised, not because she did it, but because, you know, I wasn't expecting that blessing. That was a blessing. You know, so I got a Roku TV now that I can use my phone as a hotspot so I can watch television. Uh, without trying to watch my phone, which, you know, at 62, I'm already having vision problems because of the coronavirus, you know. Uh, so, you know, trying to watch a, a, a cell phone TV screen ain't never been my cup of tea. So so I thank my thank God for my sister uh, thinking about me and sending me that. And, again, you know, I was able to buy, you know, cleaning supplies. Still got to get some stuff. Uh, to make sure that I can make make this my place, you know, instead of a place that I'm renting. So it's all process. So I've been here now. So it's been off right at at the end of the month. I guess right at two weeks. With um, you know, and I, I, you know, again with moving from the hotel with limited funds. My father depleted. You know, I I noticed a place where I could go get a few food items, so I got a, a little bit of food in my refrigerator. Uh, my brother assisted me along with. I did like, you know, I work all my life, and I go and apply food stamps, and the cost of my social security I go on get fifteen dollars. What kind of bull crap is that? Fifteen dollars, man. I worked all my life. I've been working since I was in the fourth grade as a paper boy and then at the grocery store until I graduated high school in the military and on and on with my life and my career. But when I go on the black food stamp, I'm going to get $15. $15. So my brother uh, has assisted me uh, this uh, last Saturday. He bought me some food items. So I got a little bit of food in the refrigerator, nourishing food. That I can eat, so. But that's that's where I am today. I'm not discouraged. I'm not depressed. You know, I'm having COVID nineteen. I wish I can remember what what they call. It's, it's a recent term, a, a popular term now, that I saw on uh, MSNBC, uh, well NBC now on Roku. 
that they call people that still experience the symptoms of COVID-19 weeks and months after supposedly they don't recover from. Uh, what they call uh, and, and it's a simple term. I was actually coming, but anyway, I'm one of those. You know, the symptoms that I'm still experiencing a little bit shortage of breath here and there. Uh, not uh, a little bit of muscle weakness here and there. Vision, you know, I'm 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 about to make appointments to go to my eye doctor in in Memphis once I can, you know, get enough money to make that travel. Plus, you know, uh, to get my eyes checked because there's something different about my vision uh, since the coronavirus. But that's where I am. Now, do you have any specific questions? Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if I ask you anything and you, and you don't want to share it, you, you are under no obligation. Just tell me you don't want to share that. Um, yeah. You mentioned your debt, a major debt. Are you willing to tell me a little bit more about that? Not, not particularly. I mean, it's, it's, it's. Um, Part of it is well, yeah. I mean, I don't mind. Part of it is uh, 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 student loan debt that initially, you know, I uh, neglected because I couldn't afford to pay the, the some, you know, the debt at the time. So now I'm paying for it now. Okay. Uh, student loan, uh, and then there's some other uh, debt that I incurred as a husband that I assume that I'm not going to talk about. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. And then um, tell me a little and bit. And of course, my of course my car knows how to phone that, but you know that's a that's a constant monthly thing. But the main thing is student loans, some marriage debt that I I assume right in the top because I'm not gonna leave my family high and dry. You know I I'm, I'm a man I can make. Uh uh uh. So I'm not gonna. You know, I don't, I don't like when people get divorced now. All that mess and bull crap they take their, each other through and their families through. That's just a bunch of mess. A man, if a man is gonna separate from his wife, they should agree to disagree, go on about their damn business, equally share in whatever situation they've gotten themselves into collectively. The man should assume most of the responsibility. And a man should not leave his wife destitute or uh, want to, you know, break up the home, sell the house, and all that bullshit people be going through. It, it just doesn't make sense. You know, I got my, my folks, are, my kids are grown. But, you know, my wife was my best friend. She still is my best friend. We just can't get along together, you know. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I'm not going to leave. When I left, is what I've always done if I was in a relationship. When I leave you, all I'm going to take with me is my car, my music, and my clothes, and a TV, because we got more and more. That's all I'm taking, because I'm going to get some new furniture, you know, because it's a new adventure. Yeah. But I'm not going to, you know, or I might take a bed, an extra bed, you know, we got in the house. You know, I'm going to do that, but that's, you know, but that's 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 a given. But I'm not taking no furniture to, to, to that. If a visitor came in, they'll notice that I'm gone. I'm not going to do I'm not gonna do that. You know, so uh, George. George, how many kids do you have? How many kids? Yes. Yeah, two boys. Two boys, and then how many grandkids? 
five. Five uh, grandkids. Yeah, four boys, uh, four boys and one girl. Okay. Where do they live? Huh? Where do they live? They live in Memphis. Well, the baby, my baby grandson lives in uh, Houston, but uh, four of them live in Memphis. My um, what did I say? I meant six. I'm sorry. I got I got uh, Tay, Little Terrence, uh, Kyle, five. Kyle, uh, <laughs> the baby grandson lives in Houston with his father, where his father lives. My oldest boy. And then okay. the, other, the other four live in uh, Memphis. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what branch of the service are you in? Army. Army? What, how old were you when you joined? Uh, 19. 19. And then how long were you in? Uh, a total of uh, six years, thereabouts, yeah. And did you um, serve anywhere? Uh, at peace time. I was, I was not at a... Well, I was not a wartime concierge. I was peacetime. Got it. Okay. The closest, the closest we came to uh, and going into theater was when Reagan was in office and he threatened Libya. That's the closest uh, we came. Uh-huh. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit more about your symptoms when you got sick. You said you had... Obviously, the the vision issues, shortness of breath. Like when you were in your mom's house, like and you couldn't move on the couch. Oh, uh, you say the symptoms? Yeah, tell me a little bit more about oh, what that man. was like. You, you, you show you up for that? I am. I mean, you don't have to okay. be super specific. If you don't oh, well, like, I'm gonna be, be straight up with you now, okay? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember what day uh, what day it was, but this is the reason why I think I survived COVID nineteen. That the Lord allowed me to live through this process. Besides the vision, initially, I'm going to start from the beginning. Initially, I thought maybe I had a virus, but I was wondering why I didn't have diarrhea and so on. And like that, I was weak and I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up to go to the bathroom, but thank God, thank God I never used the bathroom on myself. I don't understand that now. Don't ask me to explain all that. Because God brought me through that. I don't know what days were because I don't I don't even remember I'm I'm gonna tell you this, Daniel. I don't even remember daytime doing my sickness. I don't remember daytime. Okay. I remember nighttime, but I don't remember daytime. Anyway, okay. initially I couldn't get up off the couch. Couldn't figure that out. Hannah, my cousin, which was staying with us at the time too. Hannah Hannah, my cousin that was standing with us when the beginning, when COVID first broke out of Mississippi in the Delta, it kind of hit Indianola hard, and she was from Indianola, so she came to Greenville to stay with us. Now, she was living with us when me and my mama got sick, but she didn't get sick. How about mm-hmm. that? Isn't that interesting? Me and mama got sick, but Hannah didn't get sick. Where was she from? She was from Indianola, Mississippi. Indianola. Uh, and, okay. Indianola. And mm-hmm. did she ever get tested? Yeah, she got tested when she tested me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I said, but anyway, Sunday when Mama when Hannah Hannah went out and got food from Mr. J's barbecue for Mother's Day because we didn't cook. Uh, I ate 
talk to Mama briefly. Mama and Hannah stayed in the back of the house, and I was hanging out in the front of the house. And, you know, uh, uh, when I took sick, you know, I got TV in my bedroom. I was watching TV in the den, laying on the couch in the den. Mm-hmm. That's when I got sick. Hannah would come that Monday. I remember her uh, saying, Baby George, can you cook us some breakfast? And I'm like, Hannah, I, I don't feel good. Then when she said, Okay, she cooked breakfast, she asked me, She said, Breakfast ready. I couldn't get up to eat. Then after that thing got serious, I could remember her saying stuff to me, but I couldn't get up. I remember Mama looking and seeing the people come through the front door. One of them was my neighbor that I found out later. But all when I saw it, raised up to see who was the first person was laying my neighbor. All I could see was gold. Like she had on black and gold comforter. You know, uh, you know the child women put on like a not a house coat, but it's like a comfort thing that goes from you know shoulder down to the floor. Yeah, like a long down, like comforter thing. Is all I see is gold. Then I could see the journey. I could see a blur of people, and then I could see Ann, my neighbor, walking Mama to the journey to get on the journey. That's all I remember after that. I don't remember them going out the door. How did the neighbors know to come in? Did your mom call them? Uh, I think half called. Uh, call is my older sister, and my older sister called neighbors. Okay, and they called the ambulance. Yeah. And, and 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 them came over. Yeah, yeah. Good did, any, did anybody notice that you were clearly ill or, or check on you? And uh, and check. I'm, I, well, I don't even want. That's the part I really want to get you. But I'm gonna tell you about that. Okay. When evidently callers called and my neighbor and called my first cousin Ron and my dad's sister, son who lives here in Greenville. He he was at the house too when the ambulance came. Okay. Hannah, my cousin, was at the house, too. Ann was, came in and tended to my mom, and then she went home. Again, I couldn't get up off the couch to see about my mom. Yeah. Or say anything. Do you know Hannah, which Hannah, 75, 76 years old, but Ronnie, my cousin is close to my age. That's our son, bitch. Did not come once. They put mama in Amalan. Uh, of course, they wouldn't let, you know, they followed the ambulance, but they wouldn't let them come into the hospital because of that. So they yeah. came back to the house. Do you know that side bastard didn't come over the couch and ask me what was wrong with me? Don't you think something is wrong with me that I didn't get up off the couch to see about my mom? Right. You know, I didn't. You know, that didn't that didn't dawn on me at the moment. That didn't dawn on me at the time. But of course, later on, my brother, who is you know he 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 a trip, he got in my cousin behind because my cousin made the statement to him. You know, baby George, they call me baby George. Baby George didn't even get off the I got to see about Auntie Barbara. He called her Auntie Barbara. Is what he called my mom. Mm-hmm. Ain't that some shit there? And my brother, of course, almost beat his ass. Yeah. Because my brother didn't know at the time that I was sick. 
But you you didn't, you know, when my brother told me what went down, of course, I haven't had any contact with my first brother. I still love him, but I don't want no contact with him. Because I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until later on, then Tana, my cousin that lives in the north, which is a different cousin, but my first cousin, didn't even come over to the couch and say, man, what's wrong? What's wrong? My mom is being carted away on a burning. That's my pride and joy. You know how I feel about Bobby. I call her Bobby. Her name is Barbara. You know, I call her Bobby in pride. It's Mama or Bobby, but it's just me and her. But I didn't get off the couch on my mama. That didn't that didn't uh unction you or alert you that something was wrong with me. Anyway. Again, I don't want to talk about that emotion. That 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 makes me angry. But yeah. it's that's neither here nor there because they didn't have to have I me, mean, God had me. So it wasn't no big deal because at the time it never dawned on me anyway that they wasn't helping me because I didn't, I didn't know what was going on in the first place. Other than I know that I saw them putting my mama on a journey, but I couldn't raise up and I couldn't even speak to say, what's wrong with my mama? What's wrong with mama? I couldn't even speak, uh, Jamie. Mm-hmm. From that point on, again, I don't remember daytime. I only remember darkness. I remember waking up one night, starting to deny. That's where the symptoms really got Man, my vision was the first thing that I can remember that went. I remember waking up, getting up at night. When I opened my eyes, all I could see was light. I got up. I, you know, I knew where the back bathroom was. Generally, and I can find it with my eyes closed because I grew up in that house, you know. Anyway, I got up. Couldn't see, walked towards the back bathroom, bumped into it because there was a sitting room between the den. Off the dining room was another sitting room. I walked into the damn coffee table and hit my chin on the on the coffee table, which hurt like hell. You know, moved to my right a little bit and made it to the bathroom. That was the first bout that I had with diarrhea first, severe mm-hmm. diarrhea. But for somehow, for some reason or another, the diarrhea was severe, and it lasted more than 24 hours. I can't say how many hours it was. But I could not make it. I mean, I was, the Lord blessed me to make it to the bathroom every time. Okay. Uh, so I, there, was, there was no mess to clean up, and I couldn't see. You couldn't was, see at all, like at all? Yeah, I could, all I could see was light. Got it. Okay. I'm serious. All I could see was light. There wasn't no light on. The TV was on. But I couldn't see what was on the TV. All I could see was light. I'm talking about a bright light. I did not know TV light. All I could see was a bright light. Couldn't see nothing else. That lasted more than 24 hours. The next symptom that I had was nausea. That lasted more than 48 hours. I had nothing left to throw up. I mean, I was just dry heat for days, for hours. Had eaten any food. Then 
after that subsided, my whole body hurt like somebody at PG World. I don't know what. I mean, my fingernail, my fingernail will hurt. Fingertips will hurt. My eyes will hurt. My lips will hurt. Everything will hurt. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. My toes will hurt. You know, everything, everything that you can think of on my body was hurting. Everything. Still, I'm on the couch. No, Hannah's still in the house that is living. Ron, of course, gone. But Hannah's still there at the house. And she never once asked me what was wrong. She would cook something and say, it's time for you to eat. And never once, did you ever notice that I hadn't gotten up to eat in several days? I don't understand that. Or maybe, you know, maybe she tried to get me up to eat. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't remember. Okay. Um, then, then there was the weakness. Then gradually my vision started coming back to where I could see stuff that was familiar in the house, but I couldn't see it clearly. And I and I only I wear glasses to read, and I wear glasses when I travel so I can see the highway patrol at a distance. My distance uh, vision ain't that great anymore, but so I got glasses because I can't wear bifocals because I can never adjust. So I. There are glasses that I wear when I travel to see down the highway. I don't have to have them on, but I want to make sure I get out of trouble because I ain't going to speed that. And then uh, there are glasses that I wear when I eat and when I read, or, you know, up close. But I don't necessarily have to have them in for, you know, everyday stuff that I'm doing around the house and stuff like that. I don't have to have them. But anyway, so... My vision was coming back, and I recognized the familiarity of my mama's house. By then, Hannah had left, and I guess went back then over. So it was just me in the house. It was probably about five or six days before I tried to eat some food. Wow. Because I had, I had no appetite. No, no appetite. And when I finally tried to eat something, there was no taste, and there, and and if if there was a taste, it was nasty. Like I ate, I think I tried to eat a, a, a smoked sausage, beef smoked sausage sandwich, because it was you know something hot, you know something quick, and I could stand up long enough. Well, I didn't have to stand up. I could put the boiling water on and you know go lay back down, then get back up to get it because I was too weak to stand long and too achy to stand for a long period of time. Water. Um, yeah. Water had, you know, I, water is water, but juice was nasty, so I didn't drink no more juice. When I tried to eat the smoke sauce sandwich, it had no taste or it was nasty. And when I say nasty, the food tastes nasty. Or it had no taste at all. You couldn't. The, the taste wasn't familiar, and that went on for a long time. I don't even know how many weeks. Maybe, maybe, shit, two or three weeks. 
my, my, probably three weeks. Where you couldn't yeah. taste anything? No, it was it was three weeks. Of, yeah, like I said, when I no, I you know I the first thing I tried to do, I think is I smoked so I smell. The food tastes nasty. Everything that I, even though I ate it, there was something that I could prepare quickly. Even though I ate it, it had it was nasty. It had no taste. Got it. So I just drank water, and I, I so I ate very little because there was no taste. So it was nasty. I mean, food that I love, man, it was nasty. Um. Um, I remember at one point my brother coming home. Cause I, you know, when he finally, when I, when I remember talking to him, telling him, you know, that I'm sure that I, if Mama got COVID nineteen, that must be what I got. You know, I remember him telling the CS test positive, like that must be what I got. But uh, again, I couldn't get tested until I was able to drive myself. But when he, he had. Uh, Domino's Pizza, I think. Yeah, to deliver me a pizza to to the house. He said, "Man, try to eat some pizza or something." So he had a pizza delivered to the house. Man, that that pizza was so I, so nasty, but I got it down because I needed substance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Over a, a medium pizza took me probably about four days to, to eat, and hell, I can eat a medium pizza in, in probably a day, uh, less than two days anyway. Mm-hmm. So food was no good. That 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 was went on for about a month. I know. I said three weeks, but it was about a month before my taste started come back. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you went to get your test, was it difficult to get it? Did you know, like, what hospital did you go to? No, and... yeah, they, well, no, man, because I ain't in no big city. You gotta remember, this is not a big city. Right. So there's only there's only one hospital. Okay. And they were being, they was testing me in the parking lot. Got it. Yeah, they were doing testing out in the parking lot. They had a little tent covering. And it was a drive-up testing, like you've seen in so many other cities. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all. Because we, we were a small town. And that was in and, Greenville? Yeah, it was in Greenville. Mm-hmm. And did you have to pay for it at all? Or was it free? No, no, it was free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And how long did it take for them to get your results back to you? You know what, because I was still sick then. Uh, probably, I think it was maybe two days, three days. Okay. Okay. Um, it, was about, it was about three days, maybe three days before they, well, actually, I'm sure they probably had that test back in probably 48 hours. It was like four days when I got the, I got a letter. Saying um, that I had tested positive, or somebody called me. It could have been three or four days. Somebody called me, or I got a letter. I think somebody called me from Delta Region and said that I had tested positive, and then I got a letter in the mail. That's what it was. A nurse called me from Delta Region to let me know that I was positive COVID nineteen, and I need quarantine until the end of May, thirty first of May, and then I got a letter to that effect. Okay, so go ahead, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a little bit more about your background. You're, you said you grew up in your mom's house in Greenville. You're from Greenville? Yeah. I was born and raised in Greenville, two-parent home. Both of my parents were teachers. Okay. I had uh, 
five siblings were counting six because my mother took in a, a, a young man his junior year in high school. She took him in, Joy Lee. So I had total of six siblings. Um, graduated on time from Greenville High School. Went to college for a semester. At that time, my high school sweetheart, my wife, who I married twice, <laughs> uh, and I married again, you know, uh, if she if she would have me. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, North and I high school sweethearts met tenth grade and have been together ever since. We got married. Cora, she was pregnant with Cora two months prior to us graduating high school. Um, when we graduated, I uh, went to summer school at, some, uh, at Alcorn State University for the summer session. And then after that, joined the service. We got, and we tried to join the service. We got married. Got it. And, uh, and I joined the service, stayed married to her for six years, and then begged her for 16 more years to get her back. <laughs> but... Uh, oh. Where did you move when you joined the service? I was a medic, 91 Bravo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where, Field medic. Where were, you, lo- where were you located? Oh, man, I was stationed in Korea, uh, Fort Hood, Texas, then to Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center in Denver, Colorado, and then to Germany, and then I got out. Wow. And then that's when you moved to Memphis. And then, well, now when I got out, I moved to Detroit. Okay. Lived and worked in Detroit for six years. Then I moved back to Denver because, man, I love Colorado. Yeah, it's awesome. I, mean, I absolutely love it. And uh, moved back to Denver. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, started begging. Well, I had been begging my wife, like I said, for 15 years. And in 1995, Uh, moved to Memphis, and we married that 15 September 1996, and stayed married to whatever four or five years ago, whatever it is now. I don't keep up with that. So, uh, okay. so it was 20, 28, 29 years. Um, when you left the service, what did you do for work after that? Uh, initially, I worked in a nursing home. Okay. Because the, the the training that I had gotten at the Academy of Health Sciences in San Antonio, Texas, at uh, uh, Fort Sam Houston in uh, Austin, Texas, uh, the Academy of Health Sciences wasn't accredited at the time. So the skills that I was trained and learned at that academy when I got out of service, even though I was a field medic, I worked in the hospital. Most I didn't work. I didn't uh, work in an infantry unit. So I went to Germany. The five years prior to going to Germany, I was stationed in hospitals because of my training. But when I got out of the service, I had to, I would have had to start college all over again from scratch. What? Because my skills didn't count. Because uh, uh, the Academy of Health Sciences, which is now accredited, is an accredited school, wasn't accredited at the time. So what I had learned, that didn't count. I, had, I would have had to start all over, which I wasn't willing to do at the time. You know, yeah, I that, my, yeah. you know so I started out working in a nursing home in okay. Detroit. 
Okay. And then I, I worked in very young job in Detroit before I moved to Denver. And that's when I got my calling because my oldest brother, who was development disabled, had died. Had, he was very high functioning, but he had got killed accident. He had he worked for the airport here in Greenville and got executed uh, because they turned off the wrong transformer on the runway when the floodlights on the runway had gone out. And, him and that and was at the that was at the airport. Yeah, in Greenville, him and his supervisor. Uh, this was in '86. Him and his supervisor went to change out. You know, they went out to the each floodlight on a on a runway has a separate transformer. They okay. called in the right transformer number, but they cut off the wrong transformer. And when they when they reached in to when my brother set the key into the uh, transformer and opened it up to to you know to uh, whatever they had to do to, to you know fix their light, it yanked him into the transformer and his boss grabbed him to try to pull him out and he yanked his boss in and burned both his arms up and it burned uh, it put a hole in my brother's right side and he didn't survive he lived for about three months and he died oh my gosh my oldest brother my oldest blood brother mm-hmm. what was his name Horace H-O-R-A-C-E Horace yeah Okay. Uh, and he died. He was 34, 35, 34, something like that. Wow. So anyway, um, I was in 86, 87, yeah. So, but then in, I was in Detroit when he died. Then, but my my father died prior to that. He had a stroke. He died in August of 86. My brother got hurt October 86. But he died in February '87. So, but anyway, uh, I was in Detroit and then in '89. I moved back to Denver, and that's when I started my journey in mental health. I worked at an institution in Denver uh, called Wheat Ridge Regional Center, and I worked there until I moved. Uh, to Memphis, and my wife married in '96. Well, I'm sorry. What was what kind of facility was it? It was a, a, a institution. An institution. With, back then, it was called mental retardation. Okay. You know, y'all folk called it mental retardation, but it's now it's called intellectual disabilities. Now that they're in the game of new late, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, but um, I and you felt people. that was your calling. Oh, yeah, man, you know, because I said my brother was intellectually disabled, but he was very high function. And but he had some deficits and stuff, but he was able to work. He got married. His wife had intellectual disabilities, but their son is perfectly normal. But both of them developed their intellectual disabilities during birth. It was a birth defect. Okay. It was, you know, it wasn't, excuse me, not a birth defect. It, it happened after birth. My brother, a fever, a fever, uh, when he was a baby, rendered him uh, uh, intellectually disabled. And I don't know what happened to Ann, but okay. uh, that's what happened to him. Okay. But, uh, but their only child was perfectly fine. Okay. He has he has three kids. Horace Jr. has three children. Horace third and uh, I forget his, uh, my niece, great niece, and his youngest baby name. But anyway. I moved in 96, and when I moved to 
Memphis in 96. I worked at Arlington Developmental Center. And then that's when uh, the transition, where the transition has already started in Denver to deinstitutionalize people and put them in normal living conditions. That was back in the early 90s. But when I moved to, uh, that was in the late 80s, 89 was when I moved to Colorado. So that was in the early 90s that we we started deinstitutionalizing and closing those institutions down. Closed, I closed Blue Ridge down. When I moved to Memphis in 96, Arlington uh, Developmental Center was still open. And, you know, so I thank the Lord I got a job there instantly. And from there, I got fired from now for eight months because, you know, I was rebellious in the fact that y'all are treating these people like they're still in an institution, and that ain't what I'm about. Hang with that. You know, we these are people. These aren't animals, and they aren't uh, mental retarded. They are a person with a disability. Right. You know, they aren't uh, monologue. They're a person that has black summer 21 or, you know, uh, however you want to want they they they're not labels in other words. They are human beings that have a disability. I'm leaving it at that. Got it. So, okay. but, but anyway, I got fired from that eight months. But then, um, um, Shelter Resident and Vocational Services, which is a, a nonprofit organization in Memphis, Tennessee, hired me, and I moved up from there from starting at six thousand an hour all the way up until I was a director. And I was making very good money, married, food, and then I, uh, when President Bush, when the country crashed on the Bush, then I looked at my present situation and the country situation where, okay, most companies in Tennessee and around the country, when they were cutting the fat, but they weren't cutting labor. They were cutting management. You know, because most, if you notice, no, most companies, the most expensive the most expensive expense that a company has is, is, is their labor, you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 is their labor cost. So, they, you know, I'm looking at my company. I'm a director, but I only got a high school education. I'm in a position that requires a college degree, but I only got a high school education. But that's how good I am, and I ain't black. That's just how God bless me because I love what I do, and that translates into my ability. But I started looking at that, James, and I'm like, shit, my, but my boss could fire me, and I'd be starting zero because all I got is a high school education. So mm-hmm. in 2007, well, 2005, I was started by going to college. And I was going to college full-time. I had a full-time marriage. I was raising grandkids. And when I say we got our grandkids, we had them from Bates, two of them, Lil' Corey and uh, Alex, raising them from babies. They were nine months apart. Mm-hmm. Had a full-time family, full-time babies, full-time job, full-time church, because I was church. And uh, 
going to school full time, taking 15 hours a semester. Wow. And I graduated in 2010. Wow. What did you get a degree in? Psychology. Cool. Uh-huh. And I graduated in I was 52 years old. I was 48, wow. 47, 48 when I went back to college. And I graduated with honors from Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a private Catholic school. What's it called? Christ- heard, Christian what? I heard all this long, did. Hmm? Uh, what's it called? Christian what? Christian Brothers, Christian Brothers University. Okay. And that's in Memphis? Look, look it up. Yeah, look it up. Okay. I'm going to. It's, a, it's, the, most, it's the second most expensive school in Memphis. Um, uh, Rose College is the most expensive school, and Christian Brothers is the next most expensive. But when I when I I started at Junior College, Southwest University, which is pretty cheap, taking my uh, back in the day we called them liberal arts, but now that I think you guys call them your cores, English. Well, I didn't have to take English because I was taking that the, the summer sessions when I uh, first got in high school. So that yeah. tran- that that transcript transferred. But I took my course at Southwest University and then graduated with honors from there. And then University of Memphis and Christian Brothers was courting me. Christian Brothers won. Got it. Even though they were more expensive. Uh, but they were they were more in line. Memphis never invited me to come visit the campus. Christian Brothers invited me and my family to come visit their campus. Uh, I mean, a reception. I, you know, like I never seen it anyway. And um, you were going to you were going to class there in person. Like, were you going at night after work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going at okay. night. Got it. Yeah, going at night. Both of them. When I started at Southwest University, leave work, go to class. But I was okay. well initially at Southwest. I was taking twelve hours. Then one, uh, the first two semesters, my first year at Southwest. I was only taking 12 hours, which is still considered full-time. But my one of my professors said, hell, boy, you'll be 70 years old before you graduate take 12 hours. Up yours is 16 hours. I'm like, man, this is my responsibility. I don't have no more room for four more hours. He said, man, up your class is 16 hours because uh, you can handle it. And that's what I did. And once I got in the groove, then, you know, it was just second nature, you know, standing up to 2 and 3 in the morning studying. Every night, that was that was second nature. Yep, hear ya. Yeah, so uh, um, but I did that, and I graduated with honors from Christian Brothers. Uh, uh, and me and my wife continued on, and then from from Sirs is when I uh, uh, what is that? No, okay. Yeah, when I graduated, I was still working for SERS. And then I took this course in uh, case management. Mm-hmm. And I was tired of being sitting behind a desk and, you know, ruling over people that, you know, and my agency making all these millions of dollars, but they're paying my labor, the people that work for me, my labor, my lowest, my lowest level workers, which are the most essential workers. You know, preparing them slave wages. They're, the working poor is what they are because most of them, single mothers, uh, working two jobs, mm-hmm. having to leave their kids at home to raise raise themselves. 
you know, but that's how they was making ends meet. It was either that or going on welfare. They chose work, and many of them worked two jobs or worked double years at my at the job at the at the, our agency to make ends meet. That's that's you know, and I got to say this: that's bullshit. And as a as a director, I'm realizing it, and I'm realizing okay, and I'm talking to my executive director. Man, we made forty million dollars profit last year, and you can't give these folks no raise, no decent raise. That don't make sense. That doesn't make sense. So, you know, you're a nonprofit agent, but believe you me, you should ought to know this if you don't. Nonprofit agents don't mean you're for profit. Mm-hmm. Nonprofit means you got to make a profit to stay in operation if you're a nonprofit. You what, was the name, what was the name of your nonprofit again? Shelby Residential and Vocational Services. Got it. Shelby Residential and Vocational Services. And what was his response when you said that about the wages? Her, her, her response. Her response. Was, was that, you know, with George, you know, every time they get an evaluation, they, you know, if their evaluations pan out, they can get up to this amount in a raise. You're not talking about, uh, Jamie, not talking about 1% or 2%. You're talking about 0.5% or 0.1%. Never one like, percent. That's like nothing. Points. No, that's, wow. That's that's look. Okay, fans. You start. Say you start out making uh, seven dollars. Let's give me that. Start out making seven dollars. When you got if at the end of the year, you if you maxed out on your evaluation, I was maxing all my folks out. And this was only when I was just a manager then. But uh, I started out there making six dollars an hour. Six dollars an hour. Before my year was up, I was a manager, and I was only making $19,000. Yeah, I'm a manager now. I'm only making $19,000. I had to work overtime because they're paying hours to the managers to work overtime to make any money. And I, my staff had to work overtime to make any money. Staff has starting out at $6 an hour. If my first max evaluation, I went from $6 an hour to six fifteen. When I wow. got promoted, I got promoted, of course. But then, you know, my salary, I put it like this, as a director, at the highest level I, I, I got at the time, the next step would have been team leader by the state of the company. But as a director, I was making $57,000 a year. That same job in, in a corporate, in the corporate mental health arena would have been paying me 70 or 80. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey was her name. I mean, she was a nice lady. She was, you know, but, you know, she's like any other than direct. You know, these folks about making money, man, they don't give a damn about you, you know, about the they, they about the bottom line is what the board of directors require of you, and that's the bottom line. So you put it like this here. You could, you could work for that agency at the time. You could work for that agency for two or three years, say you started out about now. It'll be three years before you got eight. Can you imagine that? Nope. It'll be three years till you got the eight dollars now for the for the lower level late for the, the most essential people in at the at the at the agency. Like that's how the, how do you possibly pay your rent making that? Money? Yeah, how are you paying your bills? Mhm. 
you know, you you know, something is something is rotten in Denmark, if you will, if you making it off that amount of money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Something's rotten in Denmark. You are doing something that you ain't got no business doing, or you messing with somebody that's doing something that ain't, they ain't got no business doing, or you working two jobs, which you ain't got no business doing, because especially if you got yours and ain't got a husband, you know, uh, or in, in other major support system, a parent or a sister or brother that can help, help watch your children. Because, like, again, with the end, end result of it, and that's happening now in America, where people, you know, children are raising children. Yeah. Either through teenage pregnancy or through an adult not being in the home because nowadays the husband and the wife got to work two jobs. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, that, but sir, again, it, you know, gave me my stepping stone. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting them down, but, you know, I'm just putting down some of their practices. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, we've been on the phone for a while, so um, I just want to make sure. Um, can I put your first and last name in my story? Are you okay with that? You're breaking up, baby. Say it again. Oh, are you okay if I use your first and last name in my story? I don't, don't mind at all. Okay. We don't have make to. Make sure you spell my name okay. right now. Bacon. That's George John Bacon III. Bacon is an eggs and bacon. Bacon is a bacon. Do you want me to say George Bacon the Third or just George Bacon? George Bacon is good. Okay. Um, and then kind of a weird question, but we can't do any reporting um, in the field. So I was wondering, mm-hmm. would you be willing to send me some photos of yourself and of your apartment? Uh, yeah. Uh, hold on just a second. Hold on. Uh yeah, uh I'll do that tomorrow. You said my uh self and, and uh my apartment. Yeah, just kind of the environment that you're in. Um we're asking people, this is kinda of weird, to send us selfies since we can't go out and take any photos. Right. Um so yeah, if you have a photo that you can take of yourself that just kind of sure. shows what you look like and where you are, um sure. that would be really helpful that we could use in our story. Okay. Well I I'll do that first thing in the morning, that's okay. Sure. And if I have any other questions, is it okay if I text you? You can text me whatever you want to do, Sam. You're cool with me. All right. Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate your time. This was great. Uh, okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Be safe. Be safe. You too. Yeah, take care. Put, put a mask on. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay, baby. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.